are we on? We are. Okay. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service. I don't know if you noticed for the offering, we played a little part of a song called Loch Loman or the Bonnie Body Banks of Loch Loman. Have you ever heard that before? I know I heard that when I was young. And uh, there's a line in, in that uh, song that we're going to use in the sermon today where the singer says, you take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland before you. There's an interesting story to that song. Loch Lomond, of course, is a lake in Scotland. And as these two men were talking to one another, they were fondly thinking about their homeland. They were away at war in the army, fighting in battle. And uh, when he says, you take the high road and I'll take the low road, the other individual that he was talking to or singing to was actually eventually going to go back home to Scotland after the war, but he, the singer, was actually going to die. Uh, I was reading an historical account of, this goes back to the 1700s, and uh, it was the practice of the enemy of Scotland when they were fighting in war that if the enemy found out that there were two brothers fighting in the same battle, they would say, okay, we're, we capture you. One of you will live and one of you will die. You two decide which it will be. What a terrible thing. But it could have to do with this song that one knew that he was going to die, so he was saying to the other, you take the high road back home when the battle's over, and I'll take the low road, which means I'm gonna die. We're both gonna get back to Scotland I'll be dead, and they felt that Scotland was like heaven. That was the reward to get back home someday. You take the high road, you're going to be able to walk back as a living human being. I'll take the low road. I'm going to die, and the angels or whoever will eventually get me back to Scotland, where I'll be forever, kind of in heaven. So interesting meaning to that song, but that phrase, take the high road, means something different for us today. And I'd like to talk about that in the sermon. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your scripture today and we learn what it means to take the high road as a Christian, help us to understand, help us to see it, and help us to strive to be that kind of a person because that's the kind of person Jesus was. So, Lord, we ask your help here today, your inspiration, your understanding, and bring about a change in each of our lives. That's our goal. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in our culture today, when somebody talks about taking the high road, it means to choose the most noble, ethical, or diplomatic course of action after or in the face of negativity or ill treatment. So when somebody says to take the high road, that means even though you may be treated negatively or uh, wrongly, your response should not be to respond in kind. When somebody's nasty to you, don't be nasty back to them. Take the high road. Do what's ethically right. Do what God would have you do. That's what it means to take the high road. Now, it's easy to take the high road on any average normal day, 
but especially when there's somebody in your life, whether it be a relationship or a situation that is dragging you down, that is persecuting you, that through which you're suffering ill treatment, then you take the high road in the way you respond or in the way you act. That is what is noble or ethical, and that is what's pleasing to God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to learn a little bit more about taking the high road as God wants us to. Jesus here in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 13, he talks about two life paths that we need to choose between. And notice what he says here in Matthew 7, verse 13. He's talking about entering the kingdom of God. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So there's two <laughs> roads that, that Jesus is explaining, two paths that we walk in this life. One is like a nice, broad, flat, paved highway. Many are on that highway because it's nice and straight. And what that highway refers to is the ways of this world, of this fallen culture that everybody seems to be traveling. But it leads to destruction. In other words, to travel that highway, you kind of act like everybody else does. If somebody is nasty to you, you're going to be right nasty back to them because you think that's the way it should be. If somebody treats you in the wrong way, you're going to return that favor and treat them in the wrong way. That's the way our culture goes. And it's an easy thing to do because most people act that way. But we've been called to do something different. He says in verse 14, small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, eternal life, and only a few find it. So the narrow road is the road less traveled. It represents Jesus' way of life. It's different from the way most people in the world are living and the way they treat one another. And you are going to be considered a fool in some respects to travel that road. And you're going to be persecuted for taking that road. But Jesus says, nevertheless, that's the road I want you to travel because it leads to life. So you know what? Every day we're faced with situations and we have decisions to make as to how we're going to treat people. You know, we all have jobs where we work, we go to school, you know, we interact not only with family, immediate family, but uh, friends in the neighborhood and other groups that we may belong to. And we come in, in contact with all sorts of people in all sorts of moods on any given day. How are we going to act toward them? Are we going to walk the wide, well-paved road and go the way, have the same attitudes that everybody else has, or are we going to be different? Are we going to take the high road? In other words, we're going to choose the most noble, ethical, or diplomatic course of action, even when we're treated in a negative way. Well, God wants us to stand out as being that light in this society. And you know what? It's easy to just act the way everybody else acts. It's kind of contagious, 
this uh, fallen attitude of human nature, of anger, of revenge, of resentment, and all that sort of thing. Jesus calls us to rise above that, to take the narrow road and let the, the light of God shine in each of our lives. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy and chapter 2. Beginning in verse 23. 2 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 23. And this advice is for us as Christians living today as well. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Now, that goes from the people you work with to your marriage to people in church. We need to rise above that sort of thing and pursue a godlike example. He says in verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Verse 25, those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So you see, your example and the way you treat other people, whether it's good times or whether it's times of controversy and hard, you know, bad feelings or upset, whatever the case may be, your example of taking the high road and doing the right thing can even bring a person like that to the truth and bring them to salvation. You know, we don't understand sometimes how powerful our example is. You know, when you start a new job and you uh, take your place there at work, it's not going to take long before people come to understand that you're different, that you're a Christian. And, you know, sometimes people might feel uncomfortable around you. Sometimes people may already judge you as having a holier-than-thou attitude and make jokes about you behind your back. It happens. Let's face it. You know, hopefully we don't do anything that causes them to persecute us or make fun of us. You know, we just come in there in a humble attitude. You know, pretty soon they're going to find out that you don't use bad language because they never hear it come out of your mouth. They're going to realize after not too long that you don't put the boss down or put the company down by the things that you say. And they're going to realize that you're different. You're going to stand out as different to them. And they're going to watch you and they're going to judge you. And I know it's hard to live under that kind of pressure because it is pressure. But God says, just take the high road and everything you do, and your good example can even bring other people to, to salvation. Now, it may cause other people to criticize you and talk behind your back and make fun of you, but as long as you don't do anything to cause that, you will be blessed by God by trying to do the right thing. 
And you know, I've had jobs before I ever became a, a minister. I've had jobs where I lived under the same sort of scrutiny, and I know what it's like. But we just need to go about our business, God's business, with a humble heart and just trying to interact with people in the right way, in a noble way, in an ethical way, in a diplomatic way. Don't come down to their level, but rise above it by the grace of God, and you will be blessed for it. You take the high road in everything. And you know what? It starts at home. It starts at home. In your marriage, in your dealing with your children, it's not just at work, it's not just at school. We need to treat each other with grace in a marriage. Now, you know, when I was younger and we were more newly married, I wasn't like that all the time, <laughs> you know. I felt that I needed to be right in every argument or discussion that we had. You know, that I was the boss, I was the leader, I, I had to be the one who was right. So, you know, there were times where my wife and I would be in discussions or let's call it arguments, <laughs> whatever the case may be. You know, I wanted to prevail. I wanted her to know that I was right and she was wrong. But, you know, that's when I was dealing with a huge ego and, and all that kind of stuff. And I still am to some extent, but not as much. My wife will be the first to admit to you that I'm not as nasty as I used to be. Or uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word, nasty, but you know what I mean. Guys, you know what I mean. You know, as time passed, I realized, you know what? I don't have to win every argument. I just don't. It's not important. Our marriage, our relationship, our love for one another, our working together as husband and wife, that's what's pleasing to God. As we both seek God together as, as husband and wife in marriage. And all of a sudden those things when I was younger that seemed so important and so necessary just aren't anymore. I hope, hopefully learned to, to deal more diplomatically with my wife <laughs> over the years. And like I said, that's by the grace of God and some spiritual growth that has taken place in my life. So God has given us the wherewithal to take the high road in every case. And like I said, we're faced with the decisions every day. Somebody says something to us, something, somebody does something, and we have to decide how are we going to react to this? You know, we can get angry, we can get resentful, we can get mad, we can raise our voice, uh, or we can kind of back down and try to handle it in the right way. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter has a lot to say about dealing with other people in difficult situations. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8. See, our lives are supposed to be different. They're not supposed to be like the lives of other people in the world. Because God has given us the wherewithal to change. This is what he says under the heading, suffering for doing good. Hmm, suffering for doing good. Now see, normally if we suffer and we didn't do anything to deserve it, we get real angry. Somebody cuts us off in traffic. What is your natural reaction? Well, you get mad. Some people in some parts of the country might chase after the other car with a gun. Road rage. Why? Because they cut you off. Or they made an obscene gesture to you or something like that. 
No. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. So that's a totally different attitude than the attitude the world has. You know, I learned to be patient with my wife this past week. Her foot's been bothering her a lot, you know. She's in a lot of pain. So she gets a little impatient, and she's got me doing things for her, bringing her ice packs and all this kind of stuff. I have to understand what she's going through. I don't like to be in pain. She's been in pain with her leg and with her foot. So I try to do what I need to do to help her, just as I would want to be helped. You know, the scripture says uh, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So if my foot was really hurting and my knee was really hurting, man, I'd love to have somebody come with ice packs and, you know, put, you know ease the pain and make me comfortable, bring me tea and bring me coffee and soak my foot and all this kind of stuff, massage my foot. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, it doesn't say, do unto others as they did unto you. See, that's revenge. It doesn't say, do unto others as they did to you. It says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So we want to be comfortable. We want to, you know, have little things done for us to, to ease our life and to make us feel, feel good. We're not to take revenge on each other. He says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. You know, if you're at work and somebody insults you, what do you want to do immediately? Insult them back. How dare you call me that? You're, you're an, you know, he calls you a so-and-so, you're another one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even more so. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing... Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So just a totally radical response to somebody being nasty to you. Wow, Pastor John, that's hard to do. You know, when somebody does something nasty to me, my first reaction is I want to do it back to them. Yeah, that's the way of the world. That's the wide highway of life that everybody's traveling. But you haven't been called to walk that road You've been called to take the high road, the narrow road, Jesus' road. That's the road that leads to life. So yeah, God is calling you to radically change how you interact with other people. Think about it. He goes on to say in verse 10, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. So that's like uh, gossiping about other people, talking behind the boss's back, uh, getting together with women and laughing and joking and saying nasty things about your husband, or guys getting together with guys, putting down their wives and, and saying nasty things about them. Verse 11, he must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Not just to our prayers, but every word that comes out of our mouth. God hears it, and he's attentive to it. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So God provides a special blessing for us. God is joyful when he sees us walking the narrow path, trying to teach or trying to uh, treat other people with respect and kindness, sharing God's grace with them rather than having worldly attitudes of anger, revenge, resentfulness, etc., etc. Since we're in Peter, let's turn back one page to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Peter reminds us here, we're different from the world. Hold on. Don't, don't have a knee-jerk reaction and react to somebody else like the world would. He says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you're not like everybody else in this world. You have been called to be different. Will it take extra effort? It sure will. Will it take preparation and prayer every day when you wake up, get ready and start out to work or start out to school to be alert and to be aware of what comes along so that you react in the right way? Yeah. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, this is not our world, we're looking forward to another world. That's going to be our citizenship, heaven. This world that we're still dwelling in, remember Jesus prayed to the Father just before he died on the cross, Father, I ask you not to take them out of the world, but to keep them as they remain in the world. That's us. He says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So you're at work. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody's nasty to you. What do you do? Have a knee-jerk reaction and be nasty right back? Or talk to the other people you work with about how your boss is such a loser and a jerk because they get bad attitudes and they take it out on you? No. Pray for your boss. Pray. You know, uh, as you're able and as the Spirit leads you, when you're talking to somebody else, you know, and uh, they start putting down the boss and putting down the company, say, hey, listen, in this day and age, it's a blessing to have a job. We should be thankful for what we have here. Yeah, nothing's perfect. Our boss isn't perfect. The company isn't perfect. But you know what? We have a job. We have that blessing. We have our health. <laughs> we have our mental capacity. Uh, let's focus on the good in our lives, not the bad. Because every day there's that downward drag in this society and in this world of negative, negativity, uh, complaining, uh, criticism, uh, just everything that's wrong. That's what's highlighted. People get into discussions about politics. Man, 
that can get depressing real quick. Nobody's happy, nobody's gonna solve any problems, but you gotta focus on the good things. You know, God has given us a toolbox to use. Turn with me to Galatians 5, verse 22. In what ways are you different from all the other people in the world who are not Christians? Or who are Christians and they're just talk-to-talk Christians, they're not walk-to-walk Christians, if you know what I mean. We need to be walk-to-walk Christians. Galatians 5, verse 22, here Paul reminds us of the special tools that God has embedded in you now through the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, okay, love for other people, whether they be Christians or not, joy, being able to come to work in a good attitude, despite some of the difficulties you're suffering in your life, peace, not ready to start a fight, but to be a peacemaker in all aspects of your life, patience, Patience with other people, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, against, against such things there is no law. Now, God has given you that toolbox. Chances are the other people that you work with who are not Christians don't have those resources to draw from as they interact with people every day at work. You do. You have all that you need that is already dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit. All of those characteristics, all of those fruits of the Holy Spirit. So if anybody in that workplace is going to do anything to promote peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it's got to be you. Don't expect other people that you work with to be able to demonstrate those attitudes because chances are they're not Christian and they don't have the wherewithal. They're just going to settle into their anger, their revenge, their resentfulness, thinking negative things about everybody, maybe even you, because you're different and they think you're holier than thou and you're too humble or (laughs) whatever complaint they have about you and they talk behind your back. In spite of that, you demonstrate the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. You use the spiritual toolbox that he has given you to interact with others. And even though you catch grief for it, even though people laugh at you or talk behind your back, just do it. And who knows, by the grace of God, somebody that you work with, you're making an impression upon them. And they may even be called to salvation one day. The unsaved don't have those tools. So you know what? You can't be sitting there at work and everybody's agitated and everybody's upset. You can't expect the others to all of a sudden have peace and patience and kindness. They haven't been given that gift that you have. So you need to have courage. You need to stand up and start to demonstrate these attitudes in the workplace. It's not always easy. In fact, it's hardly ever easy. But you need to stand for God. You need to stand for what is good. You need to stand for what is right. Despite the feedback you may get from others. Like I said, treat others the way you would want to be treated. Don't treat others the way they've treated you. That's what the the golden rule says. And sometimes people confuse it. Well, since they started it, 
they had the nasty attitude first, I can respond in, in kind. No, you can't. Jesus certainly didn't do that throughout his life, and he doesn't want you to do it either. Turn with me to Philippians. You know, it starts with the way you think. It starts with the way you think every day. And then your actions will follow your thoughts and your heart. So you know what, if your thoughts aren't along this road, the narrow road, the Christ-like road, if your thoughts aren't along those lines, you can't expect your actions to follow. So it starts with the way we think on a daily basis. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, and now you know the main source of truth, don't you? I'm holding it right here. And how do you know truth? Because you read your Bible. You're familiar with it. You know what Jesus taught. You know what the Apostle Paul wrote. You know the examples of all those in the Old Testament and how they lived. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and there's certainly a lot of impurity in the world today, from language to you know, what people think, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So it starts with the way we think on a daily basis. And you know what? Your, in your mind is going to be whatever you put into it. Well, you're here today at church praising God. A lot of good things are entering your mind right now. You need to dwell on them. You need to, to read the Bible on your own. You need to pray to God on your own. He is never going to fill your mind with negativity or corruption or anything like that. Now, when you sit down in front of the wrong kind of media or entertainment, your mind's going to be filled with a lot of junk and negativity and ideas of revenge and anger because that's what TV and the movies are filled with. So you need to be very careful what kind of garbage you put into your head and what you end up thinking about. He says, think about, dwell on all kinds of positive stuff and godly stuff then that will help control how you interact with people on a daily basis. What your mood will be, what your attitude will be, what your response will be. It starts up here. He says in verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So whatever you've read from God, whatever you've heard in a sermon, uh, whatever the case may be, in, a, in a, an inspiring song, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. You know, we're challenged on a daily basis. We're living in a world that is not a godly world. We're living in a world, like he described, a main highway, wide and broad, well-paved, easy to walk on, and it's leading to destruction. And most of the people are on that road. But we have been called to get off that road, to take a detour, <laughs> to get on a narrow, rocky path that few people travel. But that represents the way of Jesus Christ, the way of God. And it's different from what the world does. 
So if you strive to be this kind of a person, always be positive, always try to be encouraging, people are going to think of you as odd or different. They're going to suspect you got some motives that you're you know, going to try to get money from them or, or it's some sort of trickery. No, it's honestly you. You're walking the path of Jesus Christ. You're taking the high road. So, you know, on, on a daily basis, whenever things happen that challenge you, that trouble you, just pause for a moment. Before you just react in a knee-jerk way, uh, you know, uh, giving something to somebody that they just gave you, they were nasty to you, you're going to be nasty back to them. They're silent to you, so you're going to be silent right back to them. Think about it. Okay, how do I take the high road in this instance? What would be the right thing to do? What would be the godly thing to do? To offer words of encouragement. Instead of focusing on the negative about a person, focus on the positive about them. You know, when you get together with a group of people and they start talking behind somebody's back, you know, one of your coworkers say, hey, listen, let's not focus on negative. You know, I like that person because they are this. They are a fine father. They're a fine mother. They've raised great kids. They set a good example at work. They're here every day. They're here on time. You know, they've helped me in different ways. I'm not going to talk negatively about them. You know, you're together at work and somebody starts using foul language or somebody is telling, you know, uh, vulgar jokes. You know, you could just excuse yourself and say, you know, I got something to do over here. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm not going to be a part of this. You know, God hasn't called us to judge other people and come to work and just point out everybody's problems, the wrong things that they're doing. No, that's going to get you into, into more trouble than, than you need. But there are ways to handle things in certain ways, to take the high road. Instead of criticizing, be encouraging. Instead of uh, putting down the company, lift it up. Uh, you're representing God. Your citizenship is not of this world, it's of heaven. And I'm not saying that you have to preach it, everybody, uh, in every case, but let your good example shine, and it will shine, because people are watching you, and people will notice. And you may take grief for it, you may be criticized for it, you may be laughed at for it, but still do the right thing. Put into practice the things that you've learned. Amen. And you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid. Go into the situation knowing that you're probably going to be criticized for it. People are going to talk behind your back, but do it anyway. Because you have been given the tools. You have been given the wherewithal. You know, I remember people, one gentleman in particular, he would enter into a, a discussion or a conversation that was all negative. And he would have a way of turning that discussion around to the very positive, and furthermore, to be God-centered. What a gift this man had. I still remember him to this day. And no matter what the situation was, he would identify it right away and tactfully turn the conversation, the discussion, around 180 degrees. And before you knew it, if you were involved in that discussion, and then he would finally walk away, you would think, hey, I feel better about myself for some reason. I felt, you know, depressed, and, and anxious beforehand, but now all of a sudden, I feel somewhat uplifted because he turned the conversation around and directed it to a godly bearing somehow. 
And you can do the same thing. God has given you that ability to turn the negative into positive and to take a stand for God. It's a challenge, something we face every day. And I know many times I got home at the end of the day, of the day thinking about something that happened at work and I thought, why didn't I say this? Or why didn't I do this? Well, you make mistakes too, but you learn by those mistakes. And, you know, we've all had a lot of experience in church and a lot of years as a Christian. And God wants us to use that experience and use that spiritual maturity now more than ever. You know, the older you get, you don't get afraid anymore of criticism and persecution. You think, you know, this is what I am, and I'm going to live this life that God has trained me to live, and I don't care what other people think. I'm going to take a stand for God and do what's right. I'm going to take the high road. Well, we're going to have our communion service, so I'll ask the workers to go back there and prepare. Our communion service is open to all, as you know. And as you go back there today, as you take the bread,